Jewish Latin Princess episode 133, Hedy Pagramansky, artist and Holocaust survivor. You're listening to Jewish Latin Princess podcast by Yael. Every week, get your dose of inspiration from the world's most uniquely talented Jewish women and from Yael herself. Seeking profound and practical ways to live a joyful, richer Jewish life? Welcome to Jewish Latin Princess podcast. And now, Jewish lifestyle expert and bilingual blogger at jewishlatinprincess.com, your host, Yael. You're listening to Jewish Latin Princess. I'm Yael Trush, your host. Welcome back to the show. It's back to school time in my part of the world, as well as in many of my you, my dear listeners, world. I mean, I know it's, it's back to school time in Israel as well. And I know that for many of you, it's back to school, but not really. It's back to homeschooling, which is definitely challenging. I wish you all the best and your children the best. It certainly is a lot to get adjusted to, a lot to adjust to whether you're going to school with a mask and doing half of your day online like my kids are, or whether you're doing it all online at home, uh, or whether your kids are wearing a mask the entire day. I mean, the whole thing. And, and for mothers, for mothers, it's a lot because you have so much, so many other things on your plate as well. So please, please, please practice a lot of compassion, both with your kids and with yourselves. I recently saw something great on social media. It was something along the lines of, and I wish I knew who posted it and I would have gone back and got to the exact thing, but it was something along the lines of, when I get frustrated with my child, I remind myself that one day in March, he got picked up from school and he never saw his friends again. And then it continues to say, and that is something that even adults would have a hard time with, right? It's powerful stuff, you know, and I've been impatient with my children. I certainly have. But the truth is that um, when we start realizing that it is a lot to adapt to and it's, it's hard for adults, it's, it's, harder for, it's hard for children. Um, being online is just not the same as being inside a classroom with your teacher and your peers. It's, it's not. It's a great substitute don't get me wrong, and we're so grateful for it. But it's a, it entails a huge adjustment on many fronts. So it's okay if sometimes kids are not managing, and it's okay if mama's not managing too. Um, so especially because we have other things to deal with, other responsibilities. So all that to say, compassion, compassion, compassion is the theme of the day, the theme of the times. And listen, not coincidentally, it is the theme of the month. We're in the month of Elul. So there we go. And I would say it's also the theme of today's interview, as you will soon hear. And I've broken this interview into two parts because it's long and I don't want to edit anything out pretty much. Trust me, you want it to come in two parts and because you don't want to miss anything that my lovely guest has to say. Today's interview, interview is a gem literally a gem. And if you follow me on Instagram, you probably already saw about a month ago how emotional I was during the whole process of recording this interview and how humbled I was. I stayed on the phone with my guests for two hours and it was such a privilege. It is not every day that we get the opportunity to speak to such a lady. My guest is Mrs. Hedy Pagromansky. Hedy Pagromansky, or Paige, as she later changed her name to, is a 91-year-old street artist and Holocaust survivor whose work is featured in many museums, private collections, and books. She has chronicled a changing New York, mostly the Jewish Lower East Side, through oil paintings and sketches over more than half a century. Hetty is a passionate believer in the dignity of humanity. She strives to bring visibility to the invisible, celebrate diversity, and reflect her love for the amazing city of New York. Hetty was born in Vienna, Austria in 1929 
as you will soon hear, and in 1938, she and her immediate family escaped the Nazi regime and found refuge in Panama. She then came to the United States to study at the Art Institute of Chicago, and soon after, she met and married her late husband, Eric Pagramansky, and they changed their names to Page when they became American citizens. However, she has retained her signature of H. Pagramansky in all her work, which, as I said before, is in numerous private and public collections in the United States and abroad. Nothing that I could tell you about what you'll learn in this interview and through this conversation will really do it justice. So listen carefully, open your ears and your hearts, because there is so much here and it's such a privilege to get such an opportunity. Here's the beautiful Hetty Pagramansky. Mrs. Pagramansky, welcome to Jewish Latin Princess. What an honor to have you on the show. How are you? I am very excited about this. I think the honor is mine. Oh, well, I've been looking forward to us getting together for quite some time. I am so happy that I was able to get in touch with your son and he made this shidduch happen. I'm sure we're going to have yes. such a lovely time. It's just going to be so wonderful for the listeners. So just I already bragged a little bit about you in the introduction, but um, you are uh, you are a wonderful artist. Your your work is actually so beautiful and it's in many private collections and public collections uh, all over. It's well-renowned. Um, and I kind of want to start with that because I feel like perhaps Mrs. Pagramansky, the artist, um, was birthed or the idea to go into the field of art was birthed from your experiences as a young child prior to the war. Is that correct? Is there a connection there? Completely. Completely. Tell us. Well, we went, in, we went into hiding in Vienna. I was eight years old when Hitler came and we went into hiding in our apartment. And I used to wonder if the people on the street whom I met are so friendly and nice, it's because they knew us. Why should they want to hurt me? Mm. And my mind couldn't accept the fact that anybody out there would want to hurt us. How old were you? Eight years old. Mm. And so I began to think, but the people who know us have never hurt us. So maybe the only thing is, maybe they only hurt people whom they don't know. Mm. And I thought, then we have to teach them who we are. And it wasn't until, I be, you know, I always used to sketch and never, never realized that I was sketching only real people, real doorways, real windows, mm. real streets. And years later, after many paintings that I had done of street scenes with real people, my son, who was a psychotherapist, said, but mom, why do you only paint real people. Wow. And, and the words that popped out were completely a mystery to me as to him. And I said, because if they knew us, they wouldn't hurt us. Mm. And I sincerely believe this. I believe 
you know, for example, I give a message with everything. We exist. Right. And I've done it to homeless, but in pencil. Mm -hmm. But when I got up the courage to sit on a street corner and paint, I thought I would just take photographs and then finish the work at home. Because European-born Jewish women mm -hmm. don't sit on street corners. <laughs> <laughs> If they do, it's for a different purpose. <laughs> <laughs> so wait. And, uh -huh. Okay. And the wonderful thing was, once I sat on the street corner, I knew I couldn't go home because... Because I was home. Somebody just asked me lately, Hedy, why did you pick the Lower East Side? You weren't born there. You never lived there. Why so many paintings of specific streets, of, of an area in the Lower East Side? Right. And you know what? I've been thinking and thinking about it, and I really don't know. I think that everything that I read about America was by writers who wrote about the Lower East Side, because that was the entrance point from Poland, from Russia, from Romania. Now it's an entry point from other people. So you didn't settle, when you settled in this country, you didn't settle in that area? No, no, oh. no, no. I'll tell you how this came about. I, my parents loved my drawing. They never, they never told me what to draw and what not to do. They just knew that if I had a pencil, everything was okay. And I found that's true of all children. All children, give them a pencil or a crayon, and they'll scribble. And could I talk about the teacher in Vienna? Please. Really? Okay. And this is a lesson for all of us. When all the world is dangerous, and you have a purpose in mind, you find ways. This woman... We used to say Frau Lehrerin Vogel. In Vienna, you were very formal, which means Lady Teacher Vogel. Mm -hmm. And so I never addressed her except by Frau Lehrerin Vogel. Yeah. And she loved art, but she loved children. And It was an all-girls school. In Vienna at that time, there were boys' schools or girls' schools, but I don't believe they were ever together. Okay. And, okay, what she did was we, we were given pins and measure a ruler, and you measured about an inch or so from the four corners of your copybook. Mm -hmm. And then you took out your colored pencils, And you made a line, you picked the color, 
and you made a line from one dot to the other until you had a frame. Okay? And then you were to place your homework, mm-hmm. for example, one and one equals two, mm-hmm. into the first line. And then the moment you did that correctly, you took out your colored pencils and you were allowed to use the line afterwards, the space, to do any, to draw anything, any color, anything you wanted to do. Now, this was, Vienna was run, was I this, believe. Was this a Jewish uh, school or no? No, no mm-hmm. public school. Public school. Austrian school. school. Okay. Yes, yes. Were there and other Jewish children with you in school? Yes. Mm-hmm. There were just a few of us, mm-hmm. few little girls. And in that classroom, we never felt prejudice. Really? Outside, the Hitler world already existed. But just for a few days until I stopped school. But when we had to leave because Jewish children were not allowed to sit with Christian children anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what she said, and I will never forget that, she said, I would like the Israelite children to come to the front of the room. Now, if she would have said Yiddish or the word Yude, I would have been terrified because by then that was already a deadly word. Uh-huh. Like the N-word is for children who are black. Right. And we came to the front of the room. You weren't scared. You weren't scared. Not with her. Okay. It was her classroom. And one of the other children said, why are they coming to the front? Why are they leaving? And what she said was, they'll just be going to another school, a very good school. And then I don't remember the walk to the new school. But I was never afraid. So there was, in fact, a new school? Or was it just the end of there schooling? Was. Okay. There was a different school for Jews. And after that, my parents didn't let me out of the house. And we went into hiding. Mm-hmm. I don't think they would have ever let me go into the different school because that would have been a target. Uh-huh. And I would like people to know that the moment we segregate in our mind good people and bad people according to their color mm-hmm. or their nationality, not only was she wonderful, she was a white Catholic woman, mm-hmm. but my brother and I used to walk to the school in the morning and there were, imagine apartment buildings. In Vienna, I don't think any building was higher than five stories at that time. Okay. But in the street where we went to school, and first of all, my brother was one of the most wonderful human beings. He smiled at everybody. And when I was with him, so did I, because I was safe with him. Mm-hmm. He was your and older brother? My older brother, two and a half years. Mm-hmm. If you've ever watched the film, The um, Three Identical Strangers, 
he I, adopted one of those boys. Oh, that's the connection with the documentary. Yes. I wanted to yes. ask you. Yes. I yes. didn't watch the full documentary, but I was so curious because I knew you were in it. Yes. Well, you know, the man, Tim Wardle, who did the documentary, is another genius. I, I use genius, not loosely, but really, because he interviewed me before, mm -hmm. and he asked such wise questions. He asked so much and, and understood that I didn't know why he was asking me. Mm-hmm. But he picked me for it because of his knowledge of what to ask when. And that film is awesome because of it. It made me realize why we need to protect children. So because mm -hmm. why we need to protect children. Never to use children for an experiment. Oh, gosh. Yeah. You know what? Let's, I'm going to give some background for listeners who might not be familiar. This is a documentary of three identical triplets who were separated at birth, but yes. um, intentionally separated in order to do a study unbeknownst to the three families who raised those kids and unbeknownst to the kids. And so one of the families, one of the parents of those children, you're saying was your brother. Yes. And he's the one who in the documentary was described as Bubala. Because the three boys... Oh, he's the father of the, the third triplet, the one that found yes. out after the twins met. Aha. Uh -huh. Yes, David. And the amazing thing is, when and this goes back again to the good Germans, because you can't define people by their nationalities. There were three young women who always watched us and would wave to us. Either there were two sisters and a mother or three sisters. I just know three lady faces. In your neighborhood. Always, yes, right uh -huh. on the walk to the school. Mm -hmm. and they always waved to us. And one day they even came down and gave us either cookies or chocolates. Mm -hmm. But that was my knowledge of the streets. And one of them and I was not a privy to this. I didn't see it. I only heard about it from my mother afterwards. They saw the Nazis doing a roundup. And they went into our apartment building. Okay. And one of the Nazis was a boyfriend of one of those girls. And she said, go into that building across the street. See which doors have been broken in. Go in there and find out if that is the father who was taken away from the two children to whom we wave in the morning. And then find out what his name is and find him and bring him. Get him out. And maybe love makes this happen because he risked his life. He went from he went into our building looked for the first broken door, mm -hmm. and said to my mother, I'm the boyfriend of one of the girls who always wave at your children when they go to school. 
what is your husband's name and what does he look like? And she said, his name is Jacob Kelman and he's short and has red hair. So they had already taken your father? Yes, yes. Oh yes. my gosh. Okay, so your mother says, it gives them identifying information and what happens next? He went into the streets and he looked for any group of Nazis who had rounded up men. At that time, it was only the men who were being rounded up. Mm -hmm. And obviously, my mother already had been briefed by my father or other people. Don't say that there are children. So on that day, when he came to ask my mother, we were, my mother had hidden us in the closet. Mm -hmm. And he went from group after group and said, who is Jacob Kelman? And finally, he got the right group. And my father said, that's who I am. And he said, come with me. Yale, he walked the streets with my father oh. until night. And then he went into an apartment of a friend and they hid my father until the next morning when he came home and that's why I am alive unbelievable yes but you see people need to know right now my serious concern are the children at the borders of America mm -hmm. who are separated from their parents and I need to speak because if they would not have spoken for my father, I wouldn't be here. So what we're getting to the core of, I think, what's been your message all along, because at the end of the day, I mean, this is such a poignant story because it's this Nazi ended up doing the right thing what why we don't know this woman did the right thing this austrian woman who said to her boyfriend go find that man so yes. so which goes back to your initial point that if they know us and in some way these girls these sisters or these women who used to wave maybe they didn't know you deeply but somehow they felt your humanity and felt that they they needed to take some action so it's it's what you're saying is almost restoring our faith we're not condemning anything that happened but it's like restoring our faith in humanity is that right thank you thank you thank you but then if i don't give that message then it wouldn't be an out it wouldn't be a message mm -hmm. i have to risk and all my work is about that mm -hmm. what i want to go further is this I remember so vividly that during those months of being hidden in our apartment, mm -hmm. nobody told that we were there. Everybody knew. Wow. They could have, and there was always a monetary award for telling people. And so people. many, and so many families did experience that their neighbors gave them in. So you were yes. one of the blessed ones in that sense. Yes. Well, I remember during the hiding months, walking to one of the rooms 
because I heard somebody crying, a man's voice. And there was a Nazi soldier sitting there. And my parents, listen to this, were comforting him because he said they took me out of medical school and they made me put on the uniform and do the work I do not want to do. Wow. And he was was crying bitterly. And my parents were trying to comfort him. I remember that more vividly than any of the other things. We have to remember those people on the border from ICE who take the children away from the parents mm-hmm. might have been taken out of the world they're happy in and threatened if they didn't do their work. Right. Right. We, right. we mustn't forget that. You know, it's so interesting because your experience in a way um, or, or what you've chosen to remember from the war is so opposite and correct me if I'm wrong from the experience that your late husband had as a survivor of the Holocaust yes so you brought um, an, a perspective that perhaps wasn't his um, how did that um, play out in your marriage I need to talk about that I thank you because he was an amazing person when I first you know Okay, when I came to America, it was to go to art school. Mm-hmm. I had been lucky because we had, were given visas to Panama. How did that miracle happen? What was the Panama connection? How did your parents oh, maneuver that? It, it taught me all about democracy because my uncle was in Panama. Mm-hmm. And he was able to send us visas. Beautiful. And in Panama, first of all, I went to a Catholic school, and I learned Christians are not murderers. Right. They're wonderful. Those women were wonderful. They were Swiss nuns, and they took us Jewish children. There were a few of us refugee children. They took us out of class every day and said, is there any word you didn't understand? Hmm. Now, they were Swiss nuns. And I came to my uncle and I said, Uncle, there's a new English word. It's called that'll do. And he said, there's no such word. Uh I said, yes, Sister Maria Fernandez, she puts her arms in front of her chest and she says, that'll do. (laughs) And he said, oh, she must have meant that will do because she's a Swiss nun. (laughs) She has a Swiss accent. (laughs) So again, it goes back to the different experience that you had, the contrast between your view and what what was um, your late husband's view because of what he experienced. So I know you wanted to talk about that. How did that play out in your marriage? Because he did what very few people are able to do. We, okay, first of all, when I came to Chicago, the art school I went to was wonderful, mm-hmm. but the country was a disaster. It was segregated. Yeah. Any of the children whom I knew in Panama who were Chinese, black, brown, Hispanic, they wouldn't have 
been allowed to have coffee with me in a luncheonette. In America, in the United in States. In America. That was 1948. Mm -hmm. And I saw segregation. Mm -hmm. And I decided I'm going to Israel. I couldn't live in a country wow. where I have to be the Nazi. Wow. Right. Because okay? you're, you're a white person. Right. I could go anywhere. Mm -hmm. Any place. Anywhere. And I found out, I joined a, a group... A, of of my my Hebrew is not great, Chalutzim. Yeah, upstate New York. Mm -hmm. And Eric had come from concentration camp to America, mm -hmm. and because he was a wonderful worker, he said to me once, "Nobody works as well as a concentration camp survivor." <laughs> We had to learn. True. <laughs> he said, "There isn't anything I can't do well." Aye. So hard to true. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. And he made people to work in a factory. And his first real friend was a black man mm. who helped him learn English. Wow. And helped him. And one day Eric said to him, you've got a girlfriend. I'll get me a girlfriend. Let's go out. <laughs> and then Eric would tell it like this. He would stand up put his hands on his waist and he said he stood like this and he said Eric look at me I'm black look at me there isn't any place that lets you go in that would allow me to come in mm. and when Eric heard that he suddenly realized he couldn't stay here and so I met him in that camp upstate What mm -hmm. we've been trained to go to Israel. Okay. Okay. And we were, let me just tell you about the people who ran the camp Avrom and Hadassah, Echalutz mm Hatsaiya. -hmm. And Avrom was a farmer in the kibbutz, and his wife was the daughter of an American rabbi who decided she believes in equality. She was going to go to Israel, and if men work in the fields, so would she. She was such, such a teacher. The first woman suffragist that I ever met. <laughs> she was amazing. First of all, she was also a teacher. She took us to the caves where the ancient Christians were tortured oh. with, with lions. Aye. And she said, you see what religion can do if you don't do it right. Hmm. At any rate... So you're, when, you're getting prepped to go be in the state of Israel. You're excited to do this, both yes. of you. But that doesn't happen. You stay in no. America. No. First of all, my parents were now able to come to America, and they were going to arrive. Eric had one uncle left. Where were your parents? In Panama? In Panama. Well, oh. you know, when, when we got visas, we didn't have enough money as a family to pay to take the trip. So they sent me first. Later on, my brother went. 
Oh, so you came to America for college to study art. You really were raised in Panama. Yeah. Does that mean we could be talking in Spanish? (laughs) We won't, but I'm just saying this is so cute. Beautiful. Okay. So your parents can't get to the country and that that kind of changes your life plans. Yes. Yes. And it also changed up going to Israel because Eric couldn't leave his uncle. But now, and, and I knew my parents were coming, so we said we will eventually. But one day Eric said to me, you know, I love kibbutz life, but I couldn't live where anybody tells me what to do. Ah. Because it, <laughs> he said, I had too much of that. Interesting. Yes. But to explain Eric is to, is to explain something if you ever meet my children, you'll understand them. Mm-hmm. Um, what Eric said to me when he proposed, he said, I know you're going to think about this, but don't say yes until you realize I'm going to ask you to marry me, but there's some things in my life I can never share. Hmm. Part of my life will always have to be a closed book to everybody. Were you okay with that? Yes, Hmm. because I came from the same world. My my experience was the safest part of the Holocaust. Right. His was Hill. The darkest. The darkest. And so I understood. And In fact, said, you were the perfect match for him because you were that empathy and that light be, having that could help him and, and bring life to his, I guess, to so much darkness that he experienced. I, you're giving me a wonderful, a wonderful sentence to begin with. He married me because I had joy in me, mm. and he was looking for joy. Oh. But I have to tell you about my father. My father came from a poor home, poor in love, rich in fear of the outside world in Poland, mm-hmm. very orthodox. Mm-hmm. And when he played, his father would say, how can you laugh when Jews are dying? Mm. And they had a tiny little store. And my father's job was to go always at the either the beginning or the end of the month to the neighbors and borrow money to pay the rent for the store, which they would give back in the middle of the week or the month and then borrow for the next time. Hmm. And one day he was sent to the salesman who was in a rooming house from Vienna to get things for the store. Mm-hmm. And my father ended up writing a book about his life for me, a wonderful book, because he said nobody in his, in his life ever spoke about the world, and he wanted me to know his world. Mm. And in it he wrote that he went into that boarding house, and the man was, I have to describe it to you, eating a bowl of chicken soup with yeah. enough chicken in it to feed the whole family, and 
golden yellow rings of fat floating in the soup. Mm. And at that moment, he knew he was going to go to Vienna and become a traveling salesman and eat like that every day. Mm. And he did. When he was nine years old, he ran away from home, but they caught him and brought him back. When he was 13, and he collected borrowing rent money from people, he held that money and he said, this is the only chance. If I don't take it, I'll never be able to go. Hmm. And he bought a ticket for Vienna and a green hat to hide his payers and a chocolate bar and oranges, and he took the train. Mm -hmm. And he went to an uncle who had a clothing business, and he said, I'm going to work for you free of charge. All I want is a bed and food, and I'm going to work for you until I've paid off everything, because every penny that you should pay me, you have to send to my father, because that was his rent money. Wow. And I took it. And do you know, my father, he promised himself that there would be joy, that he would raise his children with joy. In Panama, we were very poor because we were refugees. Right, right. And I remember my father loved opera. And... In Vienna, you could do standing room. He heard Caruso sing in Vienna. Standing room. Mm -hmm. Vienna had a culture of music and art, and he loved it. Mm -hmm. And so he taught it to us. And But he taught us joy. The first day when we were able to afford four eggs, one for each of us, he put them into a pot of water, put it on the stove, and we danced around the kitchen, all of us, singing a Viennese operetta song. Es ist zu schön, um wahr zu sein, which means it is too beautiful to be true. Mm. And we sang for those eggs. That's who he was. And he gave me and my brother the knowledge of joy, that joy exists. All you have to do is to use it. Hmm. And Eric saw that in me. Right, right. Did, oh, you're get, I'm getting echo. Did you take off your headphones? No, oh, but okay. let me poke it in. <laughs> I have, is it better now? Let me speak. Yeah, that's perfect now, actually. Perfect? Yeah. And Okay, good. But so I need I need to tell you about Eric and the closed book. Yeah, please do. Yes. He what he said to me as time went on, we would be driving. He loved driving, by the way. And because it's it's what he learned in the camps. And there was again here we go there was a guard who was teaching Eric to drive. Eric, who could speak Lithuanian and German, 
because he was in the ghetto in Lithuania because Jews fled towards Lithuania Germans fled to Germany mm -hmm. and Eric went to school in Lithuania when they got there and he learned Lithuanian mm -hmm. because Eric was born in a part that was German but after the first world war it became Lithuanian and the schools were still all German so he was able to take the guard who gave him food and told him to take food home to his family mm -hmm. Eric would take him to the black market and buy food in Lithuanian for the German to send home to Germany where they were hungry. Wow. It is important to remember that those who wage war, their families are also under siege. Mm. It's important that you are allowing me to speak because that's the message that I'm privy to, mm. that I was there. Yeah. And what Eric did, he said to me, I have so much hate in me, mm. but there's nobody to hate anymore. Mm. I'm free. I'm in America. I don't know if I would feel it in Germany. We have to go back. I have to find out if I got rid of it. How many years after the war did he decide to go back? My children were already teenagers. Hmm. So it was a lot of years. Were you scared what, how he would yes. react? Yes. Mm -hmm. I was hoping he would cry because he had never cried in his life. Mm -hmm. And I always wanted him to cry because... For me, crying is a release. Right. And we went to Dachau. Mm -hmm. And by then, our daughter was already preparing for law school. Did she come with you? Did she come with you guys? Both, both kids came with us. Okay. And when we left Dachau... There was a little cemetery there, probably put up by people who were survivors. Mm. And Joni stood there and she says, okay, she says, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to work on prison reform. Mm. Because you see, in America, still today, if I as a white woman committed anything questionable I would be treated very gently but if I were black yeah I would not be yeah and that was okay um I want to stay back with Eric sure okay but he went to work as a volunteer in the prison system. 
Yes, sing, sing first. So let me let me ask you about Europe. So you went to Dachau. Did you go back to Vienna and try to go back to where you yes. grew up? Yes. And how was that for you? Wonderful. Really? Wonderful. Here's how it happened. I was, when, when we were in Vienna, hiding, mm -hmm. I heard noise outside. Mm -hmm. And... This was during the six months of hiding. Mm -hmm. And I was not allowed to look out. Nobody should know we're there. But I was eight years old, and I needed to peek. Mm -hmm. So I picked up the curtain, and I looked. And there was a woman with a sandwich board mm -hmm. on her. Mm -hmm. And it said, this Aryan pig buys in Jewish stores. Whoa. Which means if you went into a Jewish store, you would be punished. Right. And children were throwing stones at her. Wow. And I will never forget that. It's, it's, it's there forever. And in Vienna, I read about a woman who had been living in the same area that's right, the Bitsiak, which means the second area, mm -hmm. Leopoldstadt. And that she went from, she got a group of Viennese people together, not Jewish, in general, no matter who, to put posts on each doorway where a Jew had lived mm. and to say what happened to them. Wow. Okay. And when I read that, I wrote to her and I subscribed to a newsletter which she was publishing of what happened to the Jews of Vienna. Mm. Okay? And I wrote. And one day I got one of those newsletters and it spoke of a man named Herbert Neusiedler who lived in a building, and this is the way he described it, Jewish and Christian children played together. Mm. We went to school together, and then Mr. Hitler came. He was describing and, your life, <laughs> your yes, childhood. Yes, but he was not Jewish. Mm. And he said, and suddenly the children that we played with were spit upon and hurt, and couldn't play with us anymore. And their parents were told to scrub the floors of the other places, of the streets and of the hallways. And some children took somebody who dared to shop in a Jewish store on the street and threw stones at her. And I ran into the room where Eric was, and I said, Eric, read this. I was there. I saw it. Wow. Okay. And I wrote to Herbert Neusiedler and told him that I was there. I saw it from the window. And we started a friendship. And to this day, and one day Eric said, you and Herbert and his family have started a friendship 
don't you want to go back to Vienna and meet them in person? Right. And I said, no, I don't want to go back. Mm -hmm. I, I am so angry at them still. I'm angry at the nation. Mm. And both kids said, you've got to go back. Wow. And Eric said, Hedy, do it. So we went back. We didn't go with the children because by then they were in school. They were in college already. And we went back. And Herbert was waiting for us at the train station. And we met his family. And I went back to the school to find out about Frau Lehrerin Vogel. And it seems that she died peacefully in a home for Catholic women. Mm-hmm. She was never, never hurt by anybody. And I wrote a letter asking if anybody knew anything of her. And I got a letter which I have at home and treasure. A woman who said that her daughter was a very bad scholar and her her writing was very ugly. Oi, oi. Okay. And would the teacher help? So Fauler and Vogel invited her to her home and said, sit up straight like a princess. <laughs> like a princess and write like one. And I thought to myself, but these are also Viennese. Right, right. And Eric was so definite about that. He didn't allow, well, our kids became hippies, especially my son, mm-hmm. during the 60s. Mm-hmm. And we were driving. Our daughter badly wanted to go to Woodstock. Mm-hmm. Who heard of Woodstock? Nowadays, but at that time, Woodstock was all hippie. Of course. Right? And Eric, part-time, used to drive a bus. He loved driving a bus. And he said, I can get you there. We didn't know you don't need tickets or anything. (laughs) (laughs) You could go free because the gates were taken down immediately. There were so many of us. And... One of my kids said, look, those are our people. And Eric said, no. He says, don't ever use words like that. There is no such thing as our people. Hmm. Don't ever think that way. And they don't. <laughs> now, that I was, now I do have to ask, oh, I'm getting echo again. Do you, can I adjust? Yeah. I do have to ask you about that because, oh, I'm getting echo. Are you still getting it? Wait, let me take it out and then put it in. Sure. How are we doing? Yeah, I think this is good. I don't hear myself, right? Okay. So I do want to ask you about that because your father embraced the joy. Um, He ran away from a world where Judaism was dark in his parents' home, it seems like. Eric also um, left a world that was very dark be- for being Jewish, and he he felt very strongly, and so did you, that 
um, that there should not be such separation and segregation. And, and this is a point, an example where he tells the children, don't, don't ever refer to people as our people. They're like, don't make those distinctions. However, um, do you, when you were raising your kids, that is one part of the question. And the, maybe there's another answer now today. Jewish education per se, was that something that was still in some shape and form important for you? Did you feel that they still needed to feel a connection to the Jewish faith and tradition and heritage? How did you feel about that? Or how was that transmitted in your parents' home? Or how did you and Eric um, live that in your family life? Okay, in my parents' home in Vienna, we went to the synagogue and all of that. Mm -hmm. But when we left Vienna to escape to Panama, my father said, we taught you all we needed. Mm. You have to make your own decision. But ultimately, it's how you act to other people. Correct. And is that what you did with your your kids? Yes. Mm -hmm. And my mother was an amazing woman. She wrote a book about her family because she said, they wouldn't live, and she couldn't help them. Mm. So, and she always felt that was a Jewish part of her, that when we came to America, she went to work as a volunteer, and she worked with the elderly. Mm. She said, if I couldn't do it for my parents, I can do it for somebody else's. But I think the Jewish thing that I pushed more than anything. And I don't know where I read that, but it seemed to me the epitome of being Jewish. If I commit a wrong against God, Mm. against the world, Mm. I can ask for forgiveness and I'll get it. But if I commit a wrong against you, I have to fix it. Mm. No God can do it for me. Correct. I must not ask. I have to fix it myself. Mm-hmm. And I always think that's Judaism for me. Mm. And we taught that to our kids. Beautiful. Very, very beautiful. Now, did you... I want to ask something else about Judaism, but this came up in my mind first as you were telling the story of how you met Eric. Did you, however, grow up knowing or thinking, even though you grew up in Panama in a predominantly Catholic country, diverse, etc., did you grow up thinking, I'm going to marry a Jewish boy? Oh, yeah, I knew it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I knew it because... Why? My world was... I am a Jew. Stay tuned to hear how this conversation with Holocaust survivor and artist Hedy Pogromanski unfolds. What will I ask her now? Can we still feel as a separate people and not discriminate? You don't want to miss this. It is absolutely beautiful as I continue to go deeper with Hedy Pogromanski. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review and rating on iTunes and click that subscribe button. I thank you very much for being here and I look forward to next week's episode. Have a lovely week. Thanks for listening to Jewish Latin Princess Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes, leave a rating and share the podcast with the Jewish women you love. 
To access today's show notes, ask Yael a question, or suggest a uniquely talented Jewish woman to be featured on the show, visit JewishLatinPrincess.com.